Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. passage comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses through 9. Oh, that you would open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those in wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but you were angry and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There was no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dr. Yates. You may be seated. Want to get started today with a few words of thanks. First of all, the sanctuary is beautiful, isn't it? Like, it's just beautiful. And you should know that it is Lee and May Lou and Brian who have helped to do all of this. Some other people have volunteered, but Lee and May Lou and Brian have been the, the brains behind this whole thing. So thank you very, very much. Absolutely. And Lee found this. I'm not even sure where you found it, a closet somewhere. They found it in a closet and he has refinished it so it matches everything else, and I feel like a real preacher all of a sudden now that I have a... Man, you guys, just wait. Wait do you hear what comes out of this mouth today. I don't have a... But thank you for that, and he, he refinished the, the font here as well, so I really appreciate it. Also, you'll notice it is warmer in here. God be praised today. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Lots of clappy people today. I like it. And uh, that's because Matt Goodwin has worked above it. Now, he's with the kids right now, but i got to tell you something. That guy's working way overtime. He's doing a great job, and thank you, Matt, for doing that. And my friend Nicole Fleischer has really helped to get all of the books together. Matt and Nicole have worked very hard, and you'll hear later from my friend JR about kind of where we are. We're in a tough spot again, but we always are, right? And, but Matt and Nicole have helped us to get us, uh, get us the right number, so thank you to all of you. And now... I would like for you to pray for me as I get ready to preach on this first Sunday of Advent. And Happy New Year, by the way. It is the first Sunday of the new year. Please pray for me as I prepare to preach 
to you. God, I confess I need your help to be able to find the words that will allow us to feel uh, an inescapable sense of hope while also acknowledging that there is pain and darkness around us. So help me to be faithful to the preaching task today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, some of you are characteristically bothered that we didn't sing more Christmas carols today. You might be saying to yourself, hey, they've been playing Christmas carols since Labor Day over at the Home Depot. Why aren't we singing more <laughs> Christmas carols right now? Well, it's because we, we live according to a different calendar around here. Dr. Green helped us mightily, uh, pastor before mine, helped us to recognize that there is a way to keep sacred time. And... You are whatever calendar dominates your life. Ooh, that's a tough one for me. I mean, you show me the calendar that orders your steps, and I will show you the calendar that is actually shaping your character. And so we use the Christian calendar. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And as the first Sunday of Advent, there are lots of things that I need to say to you, and none of them can be said any better than in the words that you've just heard in this, my favorite Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Oh, I, I, I love that song. Did you know that song is over a thousand years in the making? This is some 1,200 years ago. This would have been a song that would have first taken the form of chants. Like ancient communities of faith would have gathered the seven days before Christmas. And at night, they would have had these chants back and forth. All of them borrowed from a phrase in the Old Testament that had to do with the naming of the Messiah, the Antiphons. And they would come every night for Vespers, and they would come and they would chant back and forth this name of the ached-for, hoped-for Messiah. All that was happening over a 1,000 years ago. Now, in the 1800s, somebody took up the cause again and they said, what, what if we, did you know there are actually seven verses, seven verses to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You don't see that very often. I don't know how many are in the hymnal, but there are actually seven verses because each of the verses is based on one of those labels for the Messiah that we find in the Old Testament. So around the 1800s or so, the mid-1800s, somebody came along and put it to music and gave it a little bit more where lyrics are concerned, and it has really kind of stayed as we have sung it today. It's been that way for about almost 200 years. I love it. It's the perfect Advent song. And here's why it's the perfect Advent song. It's the perfect Advent song because it does mention Emmanuel, the God with us, Right? It also mentions that things aren't quite right yet. That is the ethos of Advent. <laughs> the ethos of Advent is going to be a little bit different than the ethos that they've been selling, celebrating for a long time at Home Depot. I mean, or whatever store that you know that put up the Christmas decorations and are playing the Mariah Carey song and have been for two months now. Like, it's a great song, right? I'm just, I mean, can we... Can we find another Mariah Carey song? I don't know. It's a different ethos. 
That one is about celebration and lights and tinsel, and it's kind of an escape, right? I'm looking forward to that escape. I am looking forward. You may not know this about me, but I have my own little Christmas Eve tradition. It starts with all of you at 6 o'clock. By the way, 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve, please come. We're going to sing a lot. That's the one time that they let me sing. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to all of that, and then the lighting of the candles, and then we go, and with dear friends, we are, and, and we, are, we, are, we are having soup and chili, and sometimes combined, it's just, it's great. And then we go home, and I try to get everybody in bed so that I can watch the Midnight Mass from, <laughs> with, with the Pope, and I uh, am wrapping the last few presents, and man, I, am, I look forward to that moment of escape. It's just me and the Pope, y'all. <laughs> and I, I look forward to it. And maybe a lot of you also enjoy those moments of escape afforded by the holiday season. And if the lights just shine just brightly enough, I can forget the ugliness that I left back at my house or back at work or in my memory. I need the escape of the holiday season, the season of Advent does not let us do that, does not let us escape. It actually, has, it actually has a more hopeful word than escape, and that more hopeful word is hope. But hope, hope does its best work when we acknowledge that things aren't okay. And y'all, things aren't okay. I... I probably don't have to list this for you, but, but can I list for you some of the evidence that's out there that things aren't okay, Gaza? Israel? The war in Ukraine? We have national issues, national issues that may at some point bubble over, boil over, and there may be violence at some point in our own country because we can't seem to have meaningful adult conversations. I was at a conference this week about criminal justice reform. Our system in Oklahoma is so broken that it is the subject of study from Columbia University. And so they have, over the course, over the course of a couple of years, they have gathered different groups of people. I was honored to be a part of a faith leader group, but there were elected officials, there were law enforcement officials, there were uh, people who were in the news, the, in the media, and for two years we've been discussing this whole thing, trying to determine why things are broken. And there are several different reasons, and one of them, Columbia University just said, we think part of the reason that the system is so broken here is because evangelicals have such a strange view of God, of God that then infiltrates the entire system. And here's what they mean, and, here's, and I agree with them. If your first view of God is that God is punitive and then exclusive, what does that look like when it comes to the criminal justice system? It looks like you lead the world, not just the country, in incarceration rates. And nobody puts more people to death than we do, even though one out of every 11 are completely exonerated. John, stop getting political. Guys, the gospel is political. Now, I don't want it to be partisan, but if you don't think the gospel is political, then your gospel doesn't have any skin on it, and it's not any use to anybody. And all God's people said, not bad, pretty good. This was said in that conference this week. 
Might we have a healthier criminal justice system if we had fewer churches? And the answer is maybe. Probably. Things are not okay. Things are not okay in the world. Things are not okay in the nation. Things are not okay in the state. Things are not okay in the denomination. There are some things that I wish went better here. Things are not okay. Beyond that, things are not okay in my life and things are not okay in your life because some of you are talking to me about it. Things are not okay. <laughs> we are aching for the presence of God because we, we experience that God right now in those moments of ache as being absent. During Advent, we say right out loud, God, we ache because right now we experience your absence in the hopes that you'll come again. Now, let me say this. You're gonna hear a lot of that language. You know, until the Son of God appears. And, and for some reason, we take all this language to mean the final arrival, what, what some people call the second coming or the final coming. But I, I, think, I think it means more than that. Ransom captive Israel who mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. That's not at the end of time, or at least it doesn't have to be. Now, I believe in all of that, that God will someday finish what God started. But I also believe that God is in the process of arriving all the time for the people that have the eyes and the ears and the imagination for it and then the courage to participate in it. I think that God is always in the process of arriving and bringing messages of healing, help, and hope, but hope does its best work, its best work when we acknowledge that things aren't okay. Y'all, Advent is supposed to be a little bit dark. On the Christian calendar, Lent is a dark season. We actually have a couple of services during the season of Lent that we actually make dark, darker than it normally is in here. Advent is also a little dark because we give one another the freedom to say things aren't quite right yet, God. And beyond that, we say something like this, and God, where are you and how much longer will we have to wait? Perhaps during Advent and also during Lent, perhaps that's when we are our most honest. It's also when we find God to be most graceful. So that's some of the context for the season of Advent. That's some of the context for the first Sunday in the season of Advent. The other passages that I might have preached today, the gospel passages always are, are kind of like tribulation stuff, right? It's always second coming stuff, the stuff that's the, that's the, it's the, it's the fodder for that big giant machine that's trying to take your money and scare you to death by selling you books like the Left Behind series. I, but don't buy any of that, but it's all kind of scary, right? This Sunday is that Sunday, and yet it's still called Hope Sunday. So I want to invite you to bring your anguish to Hope Sunday. I want to invite you to bring your aches and pains to Hope Sunday. Hope does its best work 
when things are the darkest. In terms of historical context, the passage that Kelly read just a few moments ago, the historical backdrop goes something like this. The people of God have been exiled, not once but twice. This is after the second one. And they're trying to make it back, and they're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to rebuild the city. And every time they stack a few blocks on top of one another, somebody comes along and knocks it down and ransacks all the people again. And the people are tired. They are frustrated. And they are wondering if God has given up on them. They're wondering when they are going to give up. This is a difficult, difficult time. Our passage actually should begin all the way back in Isaiah chapter 63. If you have your Bible with you, you might turn back there to Isaiah 63. We're going to start at verse 7 in Isaiah 63 and talk a little bit about an Advent posture. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, says the, the prophet. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love, a common theme throughout the Old Testament, mercy and steadfast love. God, please do that thing again. Please do that mercy and steadfast love thing again because I got to tell you, God, we aren't doing so well right now. And sometimes when you look up and you know that you're not doing well, the best thing you can do, and by the way, this is a good Advent posture, and some of you have been through just terrible agony recently, one of the best things that we can do is remember when God was experienced as good and present. Can you think of a moment when you know beyond any shadow of doubt that God was good to you, that God was next to you, that God was helpful to you, Sometimes in our, in my darkest moments, it's good practice for me to say, okay, God, you seem to be absent in a painful way right now, but I do remember a time when I felt you next to me closer than a brother. This is a good and right and healthy Advent posture. Now, <laughs> the prophet's going to go on to say, okay, now, while we're remembering all the good things that you have done, we also have to remember then that those good things that you did didn't necessarily lock us into relationships, starting with verse 8. For he, God said, surely they are my people, people who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior in all their distress. It was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Verse 10, but they rebelled and grieved his spirit, and therefore he, God, became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. God, we're acknowledging that we have wandered away. <laughs> we're acknowledging that we have wandered away and find ourselves on the opposite, opposite side of so many of these conversations, but God, we still need you. Verse 15, look down from heaven and see from your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your might, the yearning of your heart and your compassion? They are withheld from me. Verse 17, why, Lord, in your absence, why, Lord, do you make us stray from your ways and harden our heart? Yeah, God, I might not be doing very well, but it might be kind of your fault so that we do not fear you. God, turn back for the sake of your servants, for the sake of the tribes that are your heritage. Can I encourage you to pray honest prayers, even if those prayers are angry prayers, even if those prayers cause you to end up saying, God, you ought to be here, and I don't sense that you are here. Turns out, 
That kind of voice and that kind of message, that kind of sentiment is canonized in Scripture. You are, I am, permissioned to say, God, I don't sense that you're here, and I need you to be here, like, right now. And I know maybe I'm somewhat to blame for this, God, but I need you to be God and Father enough to show up soon. And if you could do so in a big and loud way, that would really help me. (laughs) Kind of like this. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. I think there are a couple things in mind, in mind here. There's always the exodus in mind. Always Israel will have the exodus in mind. When God came and wrestled Pharaoh to the ground, mm, that's, that's some of their best, most satisfying stories when God just literally beats the living daylights out of God's adversaries. God, do that one again. You know, like when you had the, the tournament of gods on Mount Carmel. Elijah says, yeah, you think your gods are great? Watch my God. And, and then God has this giant display of power and absolutely embarrasses the other prophets and the other gods. God, do that thing again so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Verse three, when you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait on him. God, that thing that you did before, we love that. Please do that again right now if you would. Verse five, you meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways but you were angry and we sinned. But again, God, because you hid yourself, we transgressed. Again, God, this might be somewhat your fault. I loved how human this message was this week. The prophet permissioned me this week to have more honest conversations with God than I thought maybe was allowed. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. Verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. Such loaded language here, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity This is an Advent message. Lord, come quickly, like tomorrow, like today, this hour. Lord, come quickly. Important words here. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord. Do not remember iniquity forever. Don't forget, God. We belong to you. Now consider, we are all your people. It's us, God. We're the ones inviting you to show up to make a big difference, to come right away. It's us. It's us, God. We are your people. Remember that, please. These are the prayers of Israel. 
These are the honest prayers of Israel. Are, are you surprised at how much humanity there is in the canonized prayers of the people of God? So human are these prayers that they can say to God, God, we thank you've forgotten us and you shouldn't forget us because we belong to you. And by the way, God, since you seem to have forgotten us, that's why we're doing bad things. We need you to come back so we can be better people. But I think that's an honest prayer. <laughs> God, I think I might be a better follower if you were close enough for me to follow. God, as I today experience your absence, I'm telling you I'm better when I can experience your presence. How about it, God? God, I feel like I might be losing hope. The hope that I have, I have, because I remember when you showed up before. I'm just saying right out loud, God, I need you to show up again. Without raising your hands, can I ask you a quick question? How many of you need God to show up again? How many of you are willing to pray prayers that might at some point kind of feel like you might be twisting God's hand, twisting God's arm a little bit? Like, God, hey, are you forgetting about me? I thought I was one of your favorites. Hey, God, I, we sing these words about you I sure want those to be true. It'd be easier for me to sing them if you would show up. That's okay for you to pray. This is the posture of Advent. An ache for the God who, when God shows up, makes things better. And if you are in a situation right now where you are experiencing the absence of God, pray. Pray in an aching anticipation. Pray in an aching expectation that God would show up and be characteristically God as God has been before. That is a really good Advent prayer, a really good Advent posture. One of my favorite authors is a crazy person by the name of Walter Brueggemann, and I love this quote right here. Israel, remarkably, in its most devastating circumstance, does not lose heart. Prayer is a practice of faith that keeps heart. And, and he's talking about us now. There, there are the, maybe you can now see the reason that we do some of the things that we do around here. When the church is honest and imaginative, this is what the church does every time it utters our Father, which we will do later. It seeds initiative for its life over to God, the only one who can give futures. The Our Father addressed in our most con conventional Christian prayer is the Father to whom the exiles hear petition. It is confidence in this God that evokes the great yet of faith as the ground for all coming possibilities. A lot of what we do, we do here each week in the hopes of funding your reservoir of hope. <laughs> a lot of what we do, we do in the hopes that you would leave with more hope than you had when you walked in, and some of you are in desperate need of hope. Me too. One of the things we do is pray the Lord's Prayer at the end. Another one of the things that we do is we gather around this table. And before we gather around this table, 
I have a fun story to tell you that I think I probably could have led with this, but then I would have, wouldn't have needed to preach the rest of this, and I wanted you to stay to the end, so I'm going to tell you a story. I read another guy this week, Dr. Tashton helped me find this, a guy by the name of Christopher Davis who tells the following story. He is uh, an author, he is a theologian, and he also is a dad who took his child to Toys R Us during the Christmas season. Huge mistake. Got him to Toys R Us and then lost track of him, okay? Let's don't judge his parenting just yet. Lost track of his kid at Toys R Us, and he panicked. Dad did, panicked. So he went looking for him, couldn't find him. It's a big, crowded store. All the lights, all the sounds, couldn't find him. So he found a security guard and says, do you guys have security cameras? Yes, okay. Well, can we see the different corners of the store? Yes, yes, let's go. Let's see if we can find my boy. And so they go, and sure enough, they finally spot him, and there he is, surrounded, surrounded by the 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 stuff of Christmas, the stuff of the holiday season, surrounded by lights, surrounded by the sounds, surrounded by all the gifts and all the toys like that, and yet he was utterly alone and afraid. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Utterly alone and afraid. There was a loudspeaker system, so it was possible for the dad to speak into the system such that his son, lost at the moment, could hear it, and so he said, hey, I see you, I see you, calm down, stay right there, I'll come to you. Okay, let's go over this again, right? Now I want you to listen to it with Advent ears. God sees you surrounded by the glitz, surrounded by the lights and the sounds and all of the gifts, and yet utterly alone, <laughs> utterly afraid, perhaps even panicked, wounded. And God says, I see you. Tell you what, stay where you are. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. We have a new undertaking that we're going to undertake in the new year. And it has to do with helping people to listen for the voice of God that is going to say at some point in your life, stay there, I'll come to you. Stay there, I'll come to you. That is called spiritual formation. That's what that undertaking is called. And I found a, a bright young minister that's going to really help us to organize this spiritual formation. His name is Jess Middendorf. <laughs> He's going to help us organize this effort of spiritual formation. But if you need to, here's a better way to understand it. It's going to be a, a long class, and there will be other classes associated with it. Like, we'd like to make it a thing, kind of an institute, much like what we have where narrative theology is concerned that Jason does with, with Disciple. We'd like to make it another thing, something that Kelly H. is doing with, with service and justice works with the Just Faith program. We want to have another thing that has to do with learning to listen to the whispering voice of God who is going to say to you at some point in your life, stay there. I'm coming to you. If you're interested in being a part of this first class of listeners or of people who are learning to listen, email us. Email us. You can email me, john at okcfirst.com or info at okcfirst. There's a book that we'd like for you to get, but we want to give you time to get it. But we want to learn to listen. Amen? 
because things aren't quite the way they're supposed to be. They're, they're not okay. Gaza is still happening. Ukraine is still happening. The, the junk in our country and our state is still happening. The denomination has issues, y'all. Our local church, we have things we got to sort through. Things in our lives leave us with this deep sense that things aren't okay. In other words, we've got to learn to listen to the voice that's going to say, stay there, I'm coming to you. Because sometimes I forget to listen. If you'd like to help, if you would like to learn to listen, then I invite you to be a part. A part of that new initiative right after the first of the year. So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer here in a second. But before that, we're going to do something else that is meant to inspire hope. We're going to gather and we're going to retell the story again using tangible symbols of how it is that God came to where we are in Christ. Stay there, says God, I'll come to you. That's what we're remembering and rehearsing as we gather around this table. So if you're coming to help set this table, come on. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Broken body and shed blood made tangible in a piece of bread and cup. Bless these elements, God, and with them remind us of this deep truth that if we listen well enough, we can hear you say, stay there, I'm coming to you. Again and again and again, I'll come to you. Bless these elements and bless these people who will shortly receive these elements so that we can be people of hope even, even against the darkest backdrops, God. But bless us now with your presence around this table. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, all of you who will. By the way, you know this by now. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to. But all of you are invited. Well, do I qualify? Well, do you need this grace? Because if you recognize that you need this grace, you're qualified no matter what happened on the way to church today, no matter what happened at work this week, no matter what happened that you would rather forget around the Thanksgiving table, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. If you would, step out of your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped because that's the way you receive this grace, with your hands cupped. Come forward and approach somebody holding a plate of bread as you do. Right here will be Avarilla who will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup right here. It'll be Maverick who will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. Find a place to pray. Well, what should we pray? You should pray honestly, first of all. If you sense the absence of God, say it in your prayer. And say, God, I need you. God, the God who says on a regular basis, if we listen, stay there, I'm coming to you. Maybe you need to pray this. Well, God, I need to hear it. <laughs> I need you. That's a perfectly appropriate prayer to pray on this first Sunday of Advent marked by this word, hope. 
Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and pray that prayer for healing. It might be physical, mental, emotional, relational, familial. We'll pray that prayer with you for healing. If you come to one of these kneeling benches up front, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point let you know that you are not alone. Or you can just circle all the way back to your pew, but if you do, please consider praying a painfully honest prayer. God, I need to know that you are closer. I need to know that you are here because I don't feel it right now. That prayer is welcome, especially on the first Sunday of Advent. You may want to make a special trip up here to this font. We are meant to be reminded of the moment of your baptism when you were included, included in every way into this people with a mission, with a purpose, the people, the very family of God. Things are dark out there. Some of you have suffered terribly loss and fracture. I hope that you find hope in these moments. I believe that that is the intention of God. That no matter how dark things might be out there or where you are, where you live, I think it is the hope of God that you would find hope in the God who is always in the process of coming to you. So on the night that he was betrayed, that our Savior took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, later he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to bring hope to the people of God.